The Digital Salon is a curation of listening experiences produced by the alumni and affiliated members of the Urban Humanities Initiative at UCLA. Even as urban space reinvents the enclosure, season two seeks out collectives situated in the city. If our first season asked how the pandemic is a portal, in our second we asked how, within such a time, can we gather? And what do we share? In this podcast that we call Collective, we tune into the knowledge that communal work transmits in polyvocal frequencies and interlocking scales. We're your hosts. I'm Gus Wendell. And I'm Jacqueline Barrios. And for our seventh episode, UHI alum and PhD student of urban planning at UCLA, Gus Wendell, explores the state of the UCLA student commute to and from campus. super commuters, um, essentially individuals who can't afford to live where they work. And that population is growing and Los Angeles has more extreme commute sheds than any other city in the United States. Usually when I would go into campus, I would have to wake up around four in the morning. People are being pushed out to places in the Inland Empire, to Lancaster and elsewhere and commuting in meaning more of us spend more time on the road here than anywhere else. So on average, that would be around a three hour commute to anywhere from four and a half, five hours, depending on the day. Commuting in LA is hard especially when you're commuting to a place like UCLA and you're a student. And living anywhere near campus is out of the question because university housing, housing in Westwood, and the West Side in general is just too damn expensive. A lot of people may not be aware that there are commuter students, much less students who commute really long distances, and what that's like. This episode is about that experience, the coping strategies, the attendant advocacy, in conversation with students, staff, and campus administrators, and asks, what would it take for the university to fully address commuter needs? I take on these issues in three parts. In part one, I speak with two undergraduate commuting students to get a sense of their experience commuting to campus and how they cope. We'll also look at some of the data around commuting to get a sense of how big the issue is at UCLA and how it intersects with the issue of housing insecurity. In part two, we'll look at ongoing advocacy efforts to address the intertwined issues of commuting and housing. We'll look specifically at two proposed solutions, safe parking and the Bruin Hub. Only the Bruin Hub has so far been endorsed by the university. In part three, we'll speculate on what I'm calling the commuter collective 
by asking campus community members what they think the future of commuting will look like at UCLA. Part one, the commuter and the commute. from Long Beach, it can range from two hours to 30 minutes. It really yeah. depends. I think everyone knows um, you don't go by miles, you go by um, your time. Right. And it just depends what time you go. So um, mm-hmm. I know we can have those long winded commutes, you know, you just want to leave campus. You know, like I'm tired, I want to go home. Yeah. And I've had those experiences that I'm just like stuck in traffic. Brittany Montano is a graduating senior and a rising urban planning master's student with an emphasis on transportation and community economic development. I asked Brittany to share her experience as a commuter and how it's affected her time at UCLA. Going to UCLA, I knew I had to commute because just the high cost of living, um, my parents also being working class and also just my siblings, my parents pay out of pocket for my brother's therapies. So it's just one of those added expenses. When you look at it, it's just commute. And it happens. You know, there's so many people just in general when they come to L.A. Um, that they have to commute. And, you know, you you slowly accept it. But I think it's something different, especially as you are a student entering a new space, trying to balance academia, being on campus, trying to find yourself in that sense, and um, just figuring out who you are. And I didn't realize that um, the status of being commuter would very greatly affect me for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I didn't even realize that, but even even to my mom, she actually went to UCLA and I am literally a Bruin baby. Like she had me when she was an undergrad and commuted too. So it was one of those things that um, she commuted, I can commute too. And just even comparing with my mom, like she had a child and did it and I was like thank you you did so much for me like how did you do that like how did you my way of coping has definitely been just listening to music um (laughs) which we call it and also listening to podcasts and I think I can see like get two podcasts in you know I can do the comedy-esque podcast that just Mm -hmm. makes me laugh or the ones that are more so just storytelling um that just make me cry. And I think I think that's the most interesting thing about commuting is that it can be a moment of, again, having like these different places while you're in traffic and like realize like, oh, that's when I cried about this story, you know, that was related to this podcast. Or that's when I had that conversation with a friend and we finally uh, made amends or we made plans. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy because we were kind of distant, you know, and we were able to reconnect, even though it was a couple minutes while I was in the car or um, by that exit, that's where I had my first car accident. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, the good, the bad, ugly. I also spoke with Trevor Raymeyer, 
a rising junior majoring in psychology and minoring in urban planning. Trevor no longer commutes long distance to campus, but he used to commute from Orange County. Trevor shared his experience commuting when returning home after class just wasn't an option. Before I ever attended UCLA proper, I did an extension program. Uh, and over that summer, I couldn't end up, I wasn't able to find proper housing. Uh, you know, sub trying to sublet from like a school that I'd never been to. I couldn't find the resources. I couldn't connect to people who uh, were subleasing apartments. Uh, and when I did find them, they were extremely overpriced, especially just for one student. So I ended up just uh, sleeping in my car five days a week. Uh, and driving home uh, on the weekends. I'm from Orange County, so that ends up being around a two-hour commute, uh, two and a half hours if there's you know bad traffic. So I'd consider myself at one point uh, housing insecure, and then during COVID, I was often commuting back and forth between LA and Orange County. Uh, very, I would I would say an extreme commute. How would you describe your coping strategies during this time when you were extreme commuting? So as far as coping went, I uh, I just kind of treated it as an adventure more so. Um, like this is I, almost glorifying it, which is not a great thing to do uh, from an outside standpoint. But once you're really, a, you know, in the position of a housing insecure student, you almost make a game out of it and treat it kind of like an adventure. And that's like almost the way I got through it. Stories like Brittany's and Trevor's demonstrate not only the challenges commuting students face, but also the range of strategies and coping mechanisms for dealing with the commute, from listening to music or podcasts, to getting up early and leaving late to beat traffic, to sleeping on campus overnight in your car. I next spoke with Carmen Garcia Shustari, the Assistant Director of UCLA First Year Experience, an office whose mandate has expanded to include advocating and providing visibility for commuting students. I spoke with Carmen to get a better sense of who UCLA commuting students are and the circumstances surrounding their long commutes. With anything related to student commuters, there is intersectionality in Mm -hmm. these identities. Many student commuters are first-generation students. Many student commuters are transfer students. In fact, I believe the percentage is something close to 70% of transfer students are uh, commuter students. The first year direct entry population is much smaller because most of them do traditionally live in the residence halls in a traditional year. Um, So in my initial work, I was really focusing just on the couple hundred students who did not live in the residence halls who were 18 years old, a traditional student, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. what their experience was like. Now in my work these years later, when I'm working with student commuters, it's really focusing on undergraduate students who live five plus miles away from campus, so not on Gailey, um, and who are not living in the university-owned housing. In 2019, UCLA Transportation and City Lab, the research center where I work, conducted a survey of UCLA commuting students and found that 25% of commuters spent over 60 minutes commuting and 19% of commuters spent over 90 minutes commuting to campus one way. 
We also found that 42% of students who commute over 60 minutes to campus have slept overnight on or near campus because of their long commutes. These are places like students' cars, library couches, or a friend's dorm. The report also found that 7% of UCLA students who commute over an hour have experienced some form of houselessness since starting college. What we know from this data is that super commutes are more common among UCLA students than we think, and that some commuters are also housing insecure. In this next part of the episode, we'll look more closely at this intersection through the lens of student advocacy. What solutions do students at the intersection of long commutes and housing insecurity seek? And what's the university doing about it? My name is Akina. I am a third year in applied linguistics at UCLA and I am a commuter. I commute about one and a half hours to campus by bus. I hope the university can help out commuters by prioritizing or suggesting to us space of roofed areas for us to wait out time in between classes and other on-campus commitments, especially when it is raining. My name is Criseira Lamas Kralitz and I am a psychobiology major at UCLA. I am a commuter and my commute was one hour each way on public transportation. And I hope that UCLA will improve the commuter experience by having the bus be easier to take to and from campus, subsidizing public transportation and creating safe spaces for commuters. My name is Evan Bruch, and I am a dual degree student with the Masters of Architecture and Urban Planning Departments at UCLA. My commute to campus consists of a bike ride to the bus station, followed by an hour to an hour and a half ride to campus. What UCLA could do to improve my experience exists at a couple different scales. At the macro scale, UCLA could advocate for increased public transit options. My name is Nayeli Almaguer. I'm a recent graduate of UCLA Architecture and I'm a UCLA commuter. I typically commute either by car or bike and rail. A car commute in traffic can be up to 90 minutes long. While I would like to commute exclusively by bike and rail, time constraints make the use of public transit cumbersome. I hope the university would improve rail access to campus and continue efforts to provide accommodations for commuters such as safe places to rest, study, and prepare meals. My name is Jacqueline Barrios. I am a PhD candidate in the English department at UCLA and I am a commuter. I commute about an hour and a half, depending on traffic, to and from campus and the San Gabriel Valley. My car is my personal private haven when I'm on campus, a place to store books, eat, nap, and work. It's also a node that embeds me to university life, a place to chat with others, a mobile and proximate home, a valuable in-between zone in the midst of the disconnected meeting locations and times of university life. I hope the university will provide and support imaginative alternatives to what my car has become for me during my time here at the Bruin.
Part 2. The Advocate and the Administrator. In these conversations with administrators, what would you say is the primary pushback from administrators or reasons why the university would not support safe parking? The number one comment that we've gotten is, you know, UCLA administration will not officially support students sleeping in their cars because they believe that there is a better and more dignified option. You know, Mm -hmm. their words, not mine. But, it in our eyes does not follow through given that not only do a variety of community colleges have safe parking but there's actually a uh, bill in the california assembly that i think is inactive now but still exists um to kind of mandate that community colleges offer safe parking if they don't have other services for students experiencing homelessness this is sachi cooper sachi is a junior and is the Facilities Commissioner on the Undergraduate Student Association Council, an elected position that oversees issues related to infrastructure, transportation, and space allocation on campus. I asked Sachi about the ongoing student advocacy for safe parking, which calls for a space where commuting students and students experiencing houselessness would be able to sleep in their cars overnight on campus, and the reasons why the university won't support it. The other objection is that UCLA transportation's parking capacity is always at 95% or above, meaning that there are never open spaces. Our response is we're not asking for it during peak hours. We're not asking for it during a basketball game. We're asking for it, you know, at night until early in the morning, simply so that people have a space to sleep. Um, And then I think where those two coincide is administration saying, well, you have people in their cars, you need to provide bathrooms, you need to provide all these other services. Like we don't want people just, you know, in the garages doing whatever. Um, but our, our policy plan, you know, accounts for that, having the proximity to 24 uh, seven wooden center with bathrooms and showers and all those kind of services. So that's been part of it. Um, and I think the last major issue is just this reluctance from all parties to um, admit that there is a problem in terms Mm -hmm. of student homelessness. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a meeting with transportation where they said that they took a informal survey of people who were sleeping in their cars in the parking lot seven. Um, And they told us, you know, like, oh, we've only, we only found like one or two people within our informal survey. Um, And our response was, of course, you're only going to find one or two people because it's not a safe place to park at night. So no one's parking here because they know that researchers and or parking enforcement is walking around trying to tell people to leave. So that's that was one interesting comment that we got. I think the broader comment is, you know, if we spend this money to do safe parking, if we implement this program and go through that PR fiasco, Mm -hmm. you know, are there going to be people using it? And our answer is consistently yes, backed up by data that 5% of UC students experience homelessness during their time at UCLA, backed up by testimonies that we have. So that that's kind of the, the three main things, you know, I feel like if I could rank it, 
issues about parking capacity are like the lowest on the list mm -hmm. than issues of, uh, you know, do students even need this service are next. And then the ultimate thing that they keep honing back in on is we will not officially support that. We can support something better. You know, here's our pyramid and we're, we're moving up the ladder, but this isn't part of it. That something better that Sachi mentioned the university keeps referring to, that's the Bruin Hub. The Bruin Hub is a proposal to convert two squash courts in the Wooden Center into a 24-7 hub for commuting students to wait out traffic, nap, study, and store belongings. Now, full disclosure, the Bruin Hub is a collaborative project involving student advocates, administrators, as well as CityLab. Sachi and I talked about what happens when one proposed solution gets in the way of another. Unfortunately, UCLA administration kind of weaponized the Bruin Hub as a way to say, no, you know, mm -hmm. we're already doing something. And it's interesting because the more that I talked to you and like learned from your team about what Bruin Hub was, I also learned that it's not just a like homeless service, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. it has, you know, a specific commuter goal. Like there are other services that it has. It's supposed to be more of a community space. Like these are all things that were totally excluded from my initial learning about what the Bruin Hub was. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, you know, they've been pitted against each other by right. outside forces, right. but from my perspective, they're all part of the same like continuum of services. I also asked Trevor his thoughts on the Bruin Hub and safe parking. I do love Bruin Hub and I think it's a good solution. Um, but I, I think it's incomplete without safe parking it, and Bruin Hub cannot be a replacement on its own. Uh, because look, you're going to have five pods when you open in the fall and there's far more commuter students <laughs> that need places to sleep. Um, and if you need to, if you want to actually give them a stress-free night's sleep, you can't have them sleeping on veteran like I was because I know dang well that, that was a not the, uh, it didn't give me peace of mind, to say yeah. the least. After speaking with Sachi and Trevor, I reached out to UCLA Transportation to learn more about their position on safe parking. I spoke with Clinton Bench, the director of UCLA Fleet and Transit. One proposal is to take lot seven, which is very close to the Wooden Center, which is where the Bruin Hub will be, which has access to showers, card access, has lockers, um, is open 24-7, all these things that, so hypothetically, if that lot was taken um, mm -hmm. and devoted to students who wanted to sleep in their cars um, and prioritize those students who were are experiencing housing insecurity. Would UCLA transportation support that um, approach? It's a complex challenge that would require a lot of interests on campus coming together. Physically, anything is possible. You know, you're, you're the, the, what you described, if all of those pieces could come together, the stars aligned, um, it's possible. Now, does UCLA transportation itself um, support sleeping overnight in cars in our parking facilities? It's certainly not our preference. Um, we're not experts um, in issues outside of transportation, you know, where, where our expertise lies in maintaining safe 
parking structures. Our expertise lies in operating a public transit service and maintaining vehicles and such. Um, so I just don't know that we're the ones to be saying this is a solution that's appropriate. There's a sense of urgency right now with folks returning to campus in the fall, as, as you're mentioning. The question then becomes, why, why wouldn't we as a campus um, try to do everything possible, even if it falls out of our transportation's purview or the, it doesn't look good or, or, or whatever? Why wouldn't we just try everything? What you're saying it represents a very reasonable conversation for us to have. And it's frankly not transportation's decision. Whatever the solution we came up with would need to be all of, all, all of our decisions. And, and UCLA transportation is, you know, has a long history of uh, supporting campus goals and initiatives. And, you know, while, you know, from our perspective and knowing what's available and possible in our parking structures. It certainly does not, for us, sound like, it, it's hard to envision, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 sleeping in cars and in, in UCLA parking structures and lots as um, a good solution. It, it, it's it, this is really up to the UCLA community more broadly. And, and I think that conversation, you, I mean, nothing that you just shared is illogical, right? But I think some of the things that you also, that, that would also need to be sort of in that mix are, what what is our responsibility to one another? Clinton's point is that regardless of where UCLA transportation stands on the issue, the decision to implement safe parking ultimately rests at the top. And yet, there is a larger issue at play here. I think the optics issue is the biggest issue that is stopping safe parking mm -hmm. from actually getting pushed through. Uh, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but UCLA probably doesn't like the idea of having um, students sleeping in their car in a parking lot central to campus mm -hmm. because they would be worried that, oh, why aren't they in housing? Like, why aren't they in dorms right now? Why can't you subsidize dorms for them? And I'm afraid that UCLA is going to think that that, that uh, safe parking is some slippery slope to uh, providing free housing. Mm -hmm. And I th that this is purely speculative on my part, but um, I think that assuaging UCLA into understanding that housing insecure students kind of are okay with sleeping out of their car as long as we have facilities necessary. Yeah. I think, I think that's just something I would want to get across to the admin because yeah. I, I, they don't like this idea of students sleeping, you know, there. And uh, I think the more money that you can put into it, the, you know, the better you can make the facility and make, you know, safe parking like a real solution instead of some kind of half-assed one where it's just a parking lot with some cones and uh, tell, you know, like one single uh, person kind of guarding the gate or whatever, stopping other people from entering. Uh, I think if it was a really well-built out solution, perhaps using, use like the funds we get from parking, from uh, UCLA parking across campus mm -hmm. and funnel that into the safe parking program, 
I think it'll be able to nicely fund a, a real uh, well-built out uh, portion of a parking lot for commuter students. And it'll make the, uh, the safe parking lot look, you know, better mm -hmm. optically for the administration and some, you know, a real solution that other campuses can then look towards and be like, wow, like they did all this for their housing insecure students. Why can't, why shouldn't we like be doing this? If we take seriously the experiences of commuting students, rather than fixating on appearances or trying to figure out which department has the right expertise, we find that commuting is more complicated than just getting from point A to point B. The commute is wrapped up in where one lives, one's academic experience, and one's identity as a student. We find that any solutions to address extreme commutes must also be pursued in tandem and not in lieu of solutions to housing insecurity, and vice versa. What would a continuum of accommodation look like? One that can hold all of the intersections of student identities and experiences on and off campus. This fall, students will return to campus. It is an open question whether commute times will be worse than before the shutdown and student housing insecurity with it. What we know is that the Bruin Hub will open and advocates for safe parking will persist. In this final part of the episode, I asked each of my interlocutors to reflect on what a commuter collective means to them and what it would take for such a collective to be realized at UCLA. Part three, the commuter collective. definitely a commuter um, collective and I think it will continue to grow with spaces like um, the Bruin Commuter Student Association. I think back to when we were back on campus those moments of relief when I met a commuter or even excited to have another commuter in my like group and I've made like I would say lifelong friends mm -hmm. that they understand and um, rooted for me. And even when I met with them, like passing by, like it's very much understood. And just like I, we very much root for each other, you know, because it's already a long drive, <laughs> a long yeah. drive. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think allowing to have a space where we can talk about it. And I think that's why I was very adamant that we needed a space, mm -hmm. whether it's a student organization, whether it's through advocacy coming from uh, City Lab or even with um, with first year experience on campus, yeah. you know, the supporters and um, even transfers. And I think it's long overdue. I think that our university still very much operates in silos. And the result of that is that I don't think a lot of people understand the student experience because there's all these different silos and depending on how you're connected to student experience, you may have a different perspective. And there are people doing great work on campus, yeah. but those people yeah. don't necessarily work together or know of each other's work to elevate the work, to make it visible so students are aware of it. I see this all the time happen and it 
unfortunately, it directly affects the student's experience. So for the collective to happen, I would love to see a unified front mm. that says we're trying to make a culture shift to support more of the student commuter experience on a campus that is primarily residential. An open, honest dialogue that's respectful and careful is what's needed um, and, you know, and, and handled in a space that, you know, encourages to encourages consensus, you know, um, and that takes a lot of work for sure for all the parties involved. So I hope it, I hope it can happen. I definitely don't think it's a fantasy, but I think to get there, you know, something I was thinking about yesterday in my office, we had a transfer awareness training hosted by the transfer student representative. And I feel like I would like to consider myself, you know, I have many friends that are transfers. I, I know a lot of transfers. I, I to also talk about transfer issues, but, but just having this like 30, 40 minute training um, continued to open my eyes about, you know, the specific issues that transfer community faces. So similarly with commuter students, I think it may be even more so, you know, sometimes this like 30,000 student undergraduate population tends to like section off into their little bubbles of campus and they know everyone in their space, but like don't know anyone outside of it. And so having something like a commuter awareness training um, and, you know, gaining allies and people who are just much more understanding of the specific issues that commuters face from a broad range of people across campus. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that would, you know, over time contribute to people who actually are passionate about, you know, the issues that need to be addressed from a space like a commuter collective. To me, a commuter collective kind of looks like, uh, well, I think frankly, Bruinhub is going to be very beneficial to a commuter collective because it'll actually bring commuters into one centralized place where uh, commuters can bounce ideas off of each other and start understanding uh, kind of how they can actually, you know, make positive changes to the way that um, they're attending UCLA. I think uh, UCLA does a fair job at addressing a lot of disenfranchised groups, uh, LGBTQ and uh, BIPOC students. And I think commuters are left out of that because commuters are very uh, split. They're very, you know, not from one walk of life necessarily. Um, so I think a commuter collective would be the building of, you know, consciousness between commuters to kind of uh, help centralize their ideas and actually bring them to the table.
tune in next week for the next episode of the Digital Salon Podcast, The Collective. To discover the archive behind this episode, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.org.